Okay, good morning. Hope everyone is doing well. We are going to skip about a hundred years or so. Actually, depending how you count. We are up to the very end of Perek Vav and the very beginning of, uh, of Perek Zion in Sefer Bereshis. Again, these chapter divisions are not so significant to us. They were not actually even a Jewish creation. But it is an end of a paragraph, an end of a section, end of a, what we call a Parsha, in the Torah Parsha Stuma, and the beginning of another. The last Pasuk, did like everything Hashem had instructed him, so he did. And uh, Rashi writes there, we don't include it on the sheet, this was the building of the Teva. Noach did the instructions, he performed, he fulfilled the instructions which he was given to create a situation of salvation for the world. Everything that HaKadosh Baruch instructed him to do. But, as you're going to see, right, the next pasuk, you come with all of your family to the Teva, because you I've seen as a tzaddik lufanai badar hazeh, you've seen as the right, I see as the righteous person before me in this time. So there's going to be another, like if you jump ahead to pasuk hey, in Perek Zayin, did all that Hashem instructed him. So, when did Nayak do everything that Hashem instructed him? Earlier or later? And the answer is, of course, he did them both times. And there were two, two, uh, two sections, two. Um, there were two sections. There were two pieces to Noah fulfilling the instruction. The first piece was he was instructed to build a teva, and then what he would be instructed to do finally, when the time came, would be to enter the teva. Noach would finally, ultimately, get the instruction, come to the Teva, with all of the various parts, to come in. It was a multi-year project for Noach to build the Teva. And then there was a time when the Mabel was imminent, when Noach was instructed to come to the Teva. And that's why we say that we're skipping today approximately 100 years. What does that mean? Again, it's not perfectly clear exactly when Noach was first told about the Mabel, According to what we saw at the end of Parshas Bereshis, it seemed to have been told about the Mabel 120 years before it happened. At exactly what stage did Hashem give Noach the mitzvah of building the Teva? When did he tell him to start building it? Some say it was immediate. Some say it was later. Uh, in, according to some accounts, as we have seen, it certainly took him time to get around to actually building it because maybe he first had to plant the trees to produce the wood from which the table would be produced. Uh, but one way or the other, one way or the other, it was a multi-year project, maybe multi-decade project, right? maybe a century project. But Neach spent a lot of time building the Teva, and it is to the end of that, Vayas Neach, it is to the end of that that Neach, Neach says he does everything that Hashem instructed him, Kein Osa. Hashem and now, he, 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 uh, he completed all of that, and maybe that's even the double expression of the Pasuk, he did what Hashem instructed him, so he did. Some understand that that's referring to a, so he did, a construction project. It was that specific part that he had focused on. Now let's look, today our focus is going to be on the beginning of the next part, where now it's getting more imminent, 
And Hashem says to Noach, Come, you and all of your household to the Teva. Because it is you who I have seen as a tzaddik before me in this generation. Noach is being invited into the Teva. Noach was already told to build the Teva. Noach was told, when he was told to, uh, to, uh, to build the Teva, he was also told, right, that he should come to the Teva. I didn't copy every, every word, every posuk that was before. Right? It says, you shall come to the Teva, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives, uh, you and your sons and your sons, uh, right, your wives and your sons and your sons' wives will come to the Teva. The, the, the instructions were given already before. But again, now Hashem says to Noach, come, you and your family to the Teva, because you, I've seen a tzaddik before me, and this time. What's the, the novelty and the differences that we are here to note within this Pasuk? So let's start from the beginning of the Pasuk. And note, Vayemer Hashem Lenoach. If you just look at the previous Pasuk, Noach did like Elohim instructed him. And here we have, Vayemer Hashem Lenoach. And Hashem says to Noach. What's the contrast between those two? In fact, if you look throughout the previous section, it's always Elohim. And Elohim said to Noach, and here it says, Hashem Now we have a change from the name Elohim to the name Hashem. The name Elohim is associated with, as you all know, Din, judgment. The name of Hashem is associated with Rachmin, with mercy. Think just one simple application of this and a relevant seasonal application of this. We just blew the shofar for Elul. Right? What do we say in the, in, in, the, uh, in the psalm which we say before the blowing of the shofar? Allah Elohim Bisrua Hashem Bekael Shofar Hashem ascended with the Trua, Elohim rather ascended with the Trua, Hashem with the sound of the Shaifar. So what do Chazal say? That on Rosh Hashanah Hashem sits on the throne of judgment. He sits behind the bench. And then with the Kol Shaifar he becomes Hashem. He moves from judgment to mercy. He moves from sitting behind the bench like the tough judge to moving and sitting on the table on the defendant's table next to the Jewish people. Midas hadin to midas harachamim. So before, earlier, we used the name Elohim. Now we use the name Hashem. And the simple way to look at this is expressed by the chizkuni, which is source gimel on your sheet. Vayemer Hashem. Vayemer kama zamidas hadin. The first time Hashem spoke to Noach was Midas Hadin, was judgment. But here where he's speaking about his salvation, it speaks, it uses the term of mercy, the name of Hashem. What does that mean? 
then it was din, now it's rachmim. Yes. Because if you look back, again at Perak Beis, Pasuk Yud Gimel, the first thing that Hashem Tanayach is, the end of all flesh comes before me because the world is filled with corruption, I'm going to destroy them. Instruction number two is, look, I'm destroying them, build for yourself a teva that will be sealed and, and watertight and, uh, and uh, you'll be saved. The first directive was about the destruction. I want to tell you I'm destroying. There Hashem said it as a judge. The secondary directive was, but I'm going to save you. I'm giving you an instruction of salvation. Whereas here in Perek Zayin, Pasuk Aleph, Hashem says to Nayach nothing about the destruction. He says, Come to the Teva, because you, you're the righteous one, and bring all the animals, and so on and so forth. In Pasuk Dalet, it says, because in seven days I'm going to bring a Mabel. So the primary, the primary statement was a statement of judgment, in the first case, and the secondary one was the statement of salvation. Here, the primary statement is a statement of salvation, and the secondary one is a statement of judgment. May I bring, you, you get it? You see the difference which the Chizkuni is pointing out? Everybody okay? Thumbs? Makes sense. Makes sense. Okay. So, let's look, and uh, let's look at this just one step further, one further application of the same idea. Okay, so Eloi Kim, Hashem, in both cases, says I'm going to destroy and I'm going to save. Both there and here. I'm going to destroy and I'm going to save. And, uh, but over there he says, first I'm going to destroy and then I'm going to save. And here it says, first I'm going to save and then I'm going to destroy. Come to the Teva and then I'm going to destroy. So one is Midas Hadin and one is Midas Arachim. Can I bring to you a comparison? Very, very simple, watery comparison. What does that mean, a watery comparison? Right, you know that Paro was very confident, he says, he was going to throw the babies into the sea because he said, uh, what's the Russian going to do? He tied his hands. He already said he's not going to bring another marble to the world. Right? Remember that? Rashi in the beginning of Shamos. So what does Rashi say? What does it say there further? But what he didn't realize was he may not destroy the world with a marble, but he could destroy one country with a marble, which is what Hashem did, right? Mida keneged Mida, for throwing the babies into the water, which was not even part, as the Ramban explains, of the Xeras Ben Abisarim, it was just in slavery, enslavement, not killing. So Hashem, Mida keneged Mida, threw the Egyptians into the sea, right? You know the drill. That was the Mishpat which he did for them. Now, it says, when Klal Yisrael saw Kriyas Yamsuf, it says, Vayiru Ames Hashem, Vayaminu Ba'ashem Uvmaisha And the people feared Hashem, and they believed in Hashem, and in Maisha, his servant. What does that mean? It means, till then they didn't believe? How is that? They just saw Eser Makos. They just experienced Makas Bechoros. How could it be that specifically now they started to believe? So some of you are familiar, I've shared with you before, that there's a big difference. What's the difference? What's the difference between the Makos and Kriyas Yamsuf? The Makos were plagues. 
Hashem brought blood upon the Egyptians. He brought frogs upon the Egyptians. He brought lice upon the Egyptians. He brought all of these things. He struck the firstborn of the Egyptians. What did he do for the Jewish people? Well, you know, it's, it's very, very convenient. If somebody's beating you up, heaven forbid, right? And someone else comes and starts punching that guy down. What happens? Then you get to run away. You have a collateral benefit from the fact that that person's being punished. Does that guy want to save you? Maybe he wants to save you. Or maybe he's more motivated to strike down that vicious other guy. The Makos were primarily an act of vengeance against the Egyptians. Punishment to the Egyptians. There was a secondary effect that the Jewish people were saved. Then the Jewish people leave Mitzrayim, they come to the Yamsuf. What was Kriyas Yamsuf? Was it a Makkah? The Egyptians suffered plenty at Kriyas Yamsuf. But the splitting of the sea was an act of saving the Jewish people. When Kriyas Yamsuf ended, you know what happened. The sea came back together and the Egyptians were destroyed, tossed around in the sea. It was primarily an act of salvation and secondarily a plague. The trust which Klal Yisrael had in Hashem came from Kriyas Yamsuf. Why? Of course, from Yitzhiyaz Mitzrayim, we saw Hashem's tremendous power. Of course, we saw that Hashem is willing to punish the wicked, and He would intervene in the world. And we saw that Hashem could communicate all of the same, predicting it in advance to Moshe Rabbein. We saw a lot of good stuff. But what we saw was Hashem's willingness to punish the other side. What we didn't see was Hashem's direct action, which would be primarily to save the Jewish people. To use our vernacular here, we saw Elohim, but we didn't see Hashem. At Kriyas Yamsuf, we saw Hashem. There's a primary, and there's a secondary. Right? The example which we which we have given sometimes is that you know there's a there's a fellow who uh, right there's a, a a guy you know. A, who picks and bullies, picks on and bullies B in school. From day one, he picked on and bullied B all the time. Eventually, after many months, A makes a mistake and he bullies B in the playground in front of the teacher the teacher sees what happens. The teacher reports to the principal. The principal calls in A and B into the office. He says, what's going on? I saw that A was bullying B. And, uh, and uh, you know, A can't deny it. And B says, yes, he bullied me today. He bullied me yesterday. He bullied me the day before. Okay, here's two scenarios. Here are two scenarios. Are you ready? Scenario number one. The principal turns to A and says, you did that? You bullied him? That's terrible. And he gives him whatever the punishment. 
he suspends him for a week, for two weeks. Please don't take my, my examples as advice. And he suspends him for a week, for two weeks. He makes him write 463,000 times, I will not bully anyone anymore. I will not bully. Do they still do that? I don't know if they do that. I don't know if kids know how to write anymore. They just probably would copy and paste. But, but, but they, you know, I will not bully B anymore. I will not bully B anymore. I will not bully B anymore. And finished. And A is sent away. B goes back to class. Scenario B. The principal does exactly the same thing to A. And then he turns, to, he sends away A and then he turns to B and he says, I can't believe here in this school you have been bullied for the past months. Must be terrible what you experienced. I feel so bad. He says, you know, I want you to go home for a few days. Take a break. Take care of yourself. And when you're ready, you come back. And this place is going to be a very, very fine and safe place for you. He goes home for the day. That night, the principal calls, checks in on him, sees how he's doing. Right, the next day, he sends over a, a tray of cookies. Right, after a little, you know, but before the weekend, he says, how are you doing? You think maybe you want to come back. What can I do to make you comfortable to come back? What's the difference between the two of them? In both cases, the principal stood up for him. No. In the first case, the principal saw somebody doing something wrong and he was willing to punish the one doing something wrong. Every principal is ready to punish the person who's doing something wrong. What happened in the second case was he wasn't just showing an interest in giving consequences to the person doing something wrong. He was also there to try to take care of the person who was doing something right or not doing anything wrong at all. And that's the difference between those two scenarios. That's the difference between those two cases. This is the shift from Vayemer Elohim Lenoach to Vayemer Hashem Lenoach. That's the Chizkuni in a nutshell. Okay? So, issue number one is to see the change from the name Elohim to the name of Hashem. And we've seen it here that there's a shift in uh, emphasis. There's a shift in emphasis uh, from the destruction to here, the primary message is the message of salvation. That's one interpretation of what's going on here. Beseder, everybody okay? Good. Let's note another thing here. Okay, and I, <coughs> you know what? I'm, I'm not going to follow the exact order I put on the sheet. I want to share with you something that was said by Rav Shamshin of Hirsch on this Pasuk. That's a little bit more, even a little bit more dramatic in the use of the name Hashem. Right? And I have here a copy of the Hebrew Rav Shamshin of Hirsch, which <coughs> is no more authoritative than the English. Usually English is an English translation. But uh, actually this was written in German and translated into English, and then translated into Hebrew. So it's all equally authentic, or all equally inauthentic. Until this point, everything was said as an act of Elohim. Seifer, Shabayre Ha'olam, Shoftai, Umechaykakai, 
Hifrish Adam It tells us that the Creator, the Judge, the Lawgiver, separated man and animals who were dis- who were righteous from those who had corrupted their ways. These were judged for life because they weren't partners in the corruption. They were zakoyim latzolov and itzelu bischusam. They were meriting salvation and were saved on their account. And the first goal of the first parsha was to make sure that they stayed alive. However, what's being told now, Nemorim b'shem Havaya, they use the name Yurke Vovke. This is the name of mercy, but not just of mercy. The name that brings man to their destiny. Structures every moment with considering the ultimate goal of the world. The matara, the goal, or the salvation which is spoken about in these psukim, for to a new future of humankind. It's not to survive. To bring the zera ha'osid, the future life, onto the face of uh, of of the earth. So. Rav Hirsch is putting together the two diukim. One is that in Perek Vav, when it spoke about Noyach, it said Elohim, and it's, here it says Hashem. The other is, before it says L'Chayos, and here it says L'Chayos Zerah. L'Chayos is to survive, L'Chayos Zerah is to, to make seed live. What's the difference between them? In fact, you would, you would say, I would say, there's a very, very small difference between them. But the way Rav Hirsch is putting it, he's saying the following thing. Survival is almost like a past tense event. People are judged based on what they have done previously. And based on what they have done, previ- on what they have done previously, we decide, do they get to escape the punishment or do they not? That was phase one. But the shame avaya is not just mercy. The shame avaya is the shame of creation, and you know that the shame avaya is a contraction of hoya hoya past, present, and future. The shame avaya speaks about the plan, the purpose, the goal, the sof maseh b'machshava tchila, the ultimate action which would be originally in mind in the origin of the entire creation. The plan. And in that context, that's what we're switching to. From speaking about Noyach, the survivor, to Noyach, to bring life to the world. That's what he suggests, is a deeper da, a deeper look at the Shem Hashem as opposed to the Shem Elohim. This is already planning for the future. And it is fitting in this context that what's introduced here in this paragraph, which wasn't in the previous paragraph, in this chapter, which wasn't in the previous chapter, was, as you know, in the previous chapter, what did we speak about? Two of each, male and female. What's that? Survival. But here, what do we speak about? 
we speak about seven of the kosher ones. And what's that about? That's about korbonus. That's already about Noach taking an initiative. Remember what we talked about a few weeks ago, that the two came by themselves. Why? Because there's a survival instinct within a human being, even within an animal. Everything has a survival instinct. So when it came to saving themselves from the mabul, they came to each. But when it came to the, uh, the next stage, which is karba, Noah had to go out and bring them. That's added here. That's the piece. We're now looking already at Noah, not just carving out the survival of the world, but setting the tone for a new world. And that's Hashem. That's the name of Hashem, which is the design, the plan for the future. I think it's a beautiful comment from a person, adds a layer of depth to this. In that vein, I want to read with you the Ramban. Okay, now, the main part of the Ramban that we're going to, um, uh, to, to, to do, focus on for now is the first paragraph. And we're going to read it somewhat superficially because he alludes to a very, very significant mystical concept that we're not going to discuss today, we're just going to glance at it in the Ramban. But listen to what he says, because he ties this Pasuk, the use of the name of Hashem, also to the idea of the Karban, that is going to be introduced here, even in a veiled way. Look what he says. He informed him that with the Midah, of compassion, he will save him and his household, and he will bring from them life, children for the generations. It's what it's going to say in Pasuk Gimel, the same Pasuk that Rav Hirsch was excited about. Earlier, he said, to give them life with you. Right? And here it says, which is much more prospective for the future. He's alluded to him here with the Midas Harachmim about the Korban that he's going to ask him to bring. Right? Remember the seven pairs. To tell him that he will turn to his Korban. And because of the Korban, he will uphold the world and make the bris that it will not be destroyed because of the waters of the flood. And it is for this reason that he uses the Shem HaMiyuchad, which is the name of Hashem. There's something which is noted by Chazal, which the Ramban brings in the very beginning of Sefer Vayikra, the Torah's Kohanim, the laws of the Korbanus. And that is, Chazal say, that the name of Hashem, which is used by Karbonos, is the name Hashem, not the name Elohim. Now, I, as I alluded to you, this is a, a mystical idea. The Ramban over there writes, Alderach Emes, and he expands on it, and he notes places where the name Elohim is used around Karbonos, but still nevertheless differentiates. But this is the distinction, the significant distinction which he makes. Hashem is because of Karbanas. And that's a new level. This is not just building a structure that's going to save the world. 
this is already framing the connection to Hashem that's going to emerge from that new world. And that happens with the name Hashem. So we pause here. Let's pause here to collect ourselves, what we've discussed, to collate what we've discussed. We've found here a new stage of the instruction to Noach to come to the Teva, focusing on coming to the Teva and bringing with him many animals for the sake of Korbanos. And we note, the Rishonim note, that it switched from the name Elohim to the name Hashem. And one layer of interpretation provided by the Chizkuni is that we're moving from a primary focus on the destruction of the world to a primary focus on the salvation of Noach. That was phase one. Then we saw, going a little bit deeper, that the name of Havaya is one which is much bigger picture. Rather than just, okay, we're going to judge on the past and allow you to survive, we also have a vision of L'chayo Yizera it's about a destiny, about the world reaching its destiny. And the name Havaya, which includes within it past, present, and future, has that connotation. That was Rosham Shinofel Hirsch. And the Ramban, in his own way, helps us as well. Because since this Pasuk alludes to Korbanas, and whereas the first section we were just talking about the two of each, which is simply practical survival, now we're speaking about a vision of what the connection with Hashem is going to look like in that world, and there we add the name Hashem. So we're moving to a new level. That's Ad Khan, that's what we discussed until this point. I want to share with you one other small point, and then... A, a, a brief discussion of a, of a famous point. The small point, which is, I, I shouldn't say small point, I, I should say we're small, I mean because we're going to discuss it briefly. Let's look back at Pasuk Aleph. Hashem said, come you and your family to the Teva, because you I've seen at Tzadik before me in this generation. Does he say, because you and your family are Tzadikim before me in this generation? Nope. He says, because you I've seen a tzaddik before me in this generation. So now look at the second paragraph that we quote from the Rambam. Noach built the teva many days before the Mabel. When the time of the Mabel arrived in the second month and the tenth of the month, that's what the Pasuk describes, he came and he said, okay, now it's time to come in. The Vayas Noach of the end of Parak Vav was the building of the Teva, which Noach completed. But now was the time to come into the Teva. Like he said before, you and your sons, and your wife, and your sons' wives. But he's telling him here, it was only because of Nayach that they were saved. It doesn't say, I saw all of you as tzaddikim. He just says, you're a tzaddik. They get to ride on your coattails. Okay, this underscores something which we've noted before and struggled with before, which is Nayach didn't have the impact that Avram Vinu had, he didn't turn the world around. In the end, when he went into the Teva, it was just Noach and his family. Wow. Now, lest you think that at least Noach and his family were righteous, it wasn't even true that all of his family were righteous. It doesn't say you were all tzaddikim. You're a tzaddik, and you get some coupons. 
right? When Light did the right thing, he had some coupons he was able to give to his to his daughters, his wife. They could come with him. When um, when Rachav, you know, helped the spies in the days of Yehoshua and hid them and protected them from the locals. So they said, when we come back, you know, bring your family into the house, have that red red thing hanging from the thing. We're going to destroy everybody. We're going to save you and everybody in your house. You, you know, the tzaddik has a right to bring some people along for the ride. That's what it says here. And uh, that's the... That's the, the, the idea. The same idea is expressed by the Sforni. You're the tzaddik. It's only on your account that I save your family. Okay, so that's another idea, another little principle that comes across here in this Pasuk. And it's not a surprise, therefore, when after the Teva, after the Mabul, we find them exiting the Teva, and we have Shem, who's very righteous, and we have Cham, who's very wicked. They're not all tzaddikim but they're all the children of Noach. Okay? Quick hit and run. Okay. Next. There's a Rashi, and it's a famous Rashi. And I want to acknowledge that there are at least a couple of people, a few people who are here on this, a couple of people who are here on this this call. I I say at least a few people who are here on this call who learn with us the Daf Hayemi. And so, what we're going to say right now, in the next few minutes that we have, is something that references a Gemara that we had just this week in the Daf Hayemi. And in fact, for those who were with us on the Shir, I shared much of what we're going to say here right now in the Shir. We're going to go over it. And uh, it's a valuable, I believe it's a very valuable lesson to go over. But it's Mamish, a Gemara, that we had this week in the Daf Yomi, on this very Pasuk that we're learning here today. Nice when that happens. Says the Gemara, says Rashi. Let's first do the Rashi. The Rashi is the famous quote. It doesn't say a perfect Tzadik. You say part of the praise of a person in front of him and all not in front of him. Right? What's that mean? Because in the very beginning of Parshas Nayach, we describe the righteousness of Nayach. And we use more ink than we use here. Nayach ish tzadik, tamim haya b'day raisav, Nayach, he was righteous, he was perfect in his time, he walked with God. Here, what does Hashem say? Nayach, you come to the Teva because you're a tzadik lefanai b'day Much more conservative, much less, says Rashi. When you're talking about him, you say more than when you're talking to him. You say part of the praise of a person to his face, but you say much more not to his face. And let's look at the Gemara in Erevin, Daf Yuchesam at Beis. Amar Avirmiya ben Elazar, Mixtas Vachesh Aladamaymi Befanav, Akulay Shalay Befanav. You say part of the praise of the person in front of him, all not in front of him. Mixtas Vachesh Aladamaymi Befanav, Ki Aishara Isit, Tzadik Lefanai Badarazet. Because you I see as a tzaddik before me in this time, in this generation. But uh, when he was speaking about him, he said, He says much more. Okay, so that's the, that's the Gemara. Basically, Rashi, Rashi just made it less words. 
So here's the question, folks. Why? Why do you say all of the praise of the person not in front of him, but some to his face? What would you think? So listen to Rashi. Rashi in Erevin, Kalaymar, Derech Eretzu, it is common way of the world. Even though someone is praising his friend, not in his presence, he praises him a lot. He doesn't say a lot in front of him. Because it looks like flattery. To his face you say less because it would look like you are trying to flatter him. Like you're lying. And that's why you shouldn't do it. Was that what you were thinking? I would bet that that's not what you were thinking. It's not what I ever thought was the pshat. I always thought that the pshat was because you don't want it to get to his head. Says the Marsha, Ayin pirish Rashi, Mineshim nira kemachnif, Adkan l'shayni. Isn't there a different reason? The one who hears it, we don't want him, his heart to become strong and arrogant and that he will take too much credit for himself. And therefore, don't, don't speak too much. Don't let it get to its head. That's what we could have thought. So why does Rashi not learn that way? Rashi doesn't learn that way. He doesn't say you don't want it to get to his head. You say you don't want to look like a liar, like a flatterer. The reason why he doesn't learn this is because if that was the case, it wouldn't apply to Hashem. When you're speaking to Hashem, how effusive are you? If there, it says by Hashem that you should be conservative, in the Medrash Rabbah it says that even when it comes to the Rabbinah Shalalim, you say only part of the praise in front of him. So the Marsha says, if you look at the Medrash, you'll see something that will throw you off. What does the Medrash say? So that's the next source on your sheet. Source Yud Aleph, the way it's labeled now. Amar Abel Lazar ben Azariah, Matzinu Shaim and Mixas Vachei Shalanim Befanav, VeKulei Shalei Befanav. You say part of the praise in front of him, all not. Shekainu Aimer, Benayach Itzadik Tamai Shalei Befanav. See if I say Befanav, Befanav. Rabbi Lazar, the son of Yisai Glida, says Matzinu Shaim and Mixas Vachei Shalmi Shamar Vayayalam Befanav. We find that we say partial part of the praise of the Creator in front of him. Why? It says, Wow. In front of him, you say, you say, your actions are awesome. But here, it's talking about him, not to him. His kindness is forever. Not just the awesome moments. Now tell me something. Why would you say less to HaKadosh Baruch Hu? You don't want it to get to his head? Obviously, that's not the reason. But, if the following happens, okay, listen to this. 
God, why does he do this to me? Why do I have such a hard time? And we walk around through life and things happen. We do acknowledge Hashem hardly. We don't say, wow, look at this. I'm sitting here and I have a ceiling fan which is making you all dizzy. But it's giving me, it's, it's not my house, it's giving me a breeze. Wow, isn't that great? I'm sitting here, it's warm outside, but I'm here, it's a breeze. And here it is, and I'm out of town, and normally I wouldn't be able to have the, the privilege, one of the highlights of my week of learning with you, Beratius. But because we discovered this thing called Zoom, right, now I can do it. Normally I wasn't able to do it whenever I went away. Now I can do it. Wow, Rabbanishlam, that's wonderful. You did not hear me say that until now, because I'm now doing theatrics. But you know, when something goes wrong, you either say, it's good, you don't say anything. When something goes wrong, what do we do? We grumble about Hashem. Oh, but one second, one second, it's time to daven mincha. Time to daven mincha. Blessed are you, Hashem, our God, God of our fathers, God of Avram, God of Yitzchak, God of Yaakov. Great, awesome. Godol, Gibor, Venaira, Gaimel, you're so kind. Hashem, you give people wisdom. Please give us wisdom. You know what that is? That's not genuine. It's not genuine. We should be talking about Hashem even more effusively than we talk to Hashem. Because you see, when we're asking Him for things, we lay it on thick. But when we're talking about him behind his back, so to speak, if there is such a thing, we don't. The genuineness would be that we should be as effusive about HaKadosh Baruch Hu when we're not talking to him, when we're not asking him for something, than when we are. Isn't that amazing? That's what Chazal are teaching us. That's the issue. And... One thing which is harder with me is I have to be I have to be, a, have to be a, a, on a call meeting in four minutes, so I'm going to ask your indulgence if I could just finish where we are, and that is, and there's a reason why it's not, so it shouldn't get to your head, and what's the reason? Because that's not a reason to not tell somebody something that it shouldn't get to their head. That's not your problem. Here you have a choice. You can say something to the person and he's going to feel like, feel like a million bucks. But the issue is maybe he's only half a million bucks. Or maybe he is a million bucks because he feels, but because he feels like a million bucks, he's not going to strive to be two million bucks or three million bucks. So you know, don't tell it to him. Because even though it'll make this fellow who feels like $40 feel like a million bucks, but you have to worry, you don't want to get it to his head that he shouldn't feel like two million bucks when he's only one million bucks. Maybe your first responsibility is to make him feel good and let him worry about his arrogance. So there's a principle which was taught by the Rabbi Yisrael Salanter. It's a famous principle and I copy a little bit here. Bitochen. Okay, this is just an example. The, 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 the statement from Rabbi Yisrael which is quoted is that somebody else's gashmiya, somebody else's physical well-being is your spirituality. But listen to what he says. Faith. Faith is a very, very precious characteristic. Chazal said, A person who has bread in his basket, and he says, but what am I going to eat tomorrow? 
He's a small faith. If you want to say that for yourself, I'm okay today, I trust Hashem will take care of me tomorrow, that's fine. But for your friend, Heaven forbid that you should act that way with him. For your friend, plan for tomorrow, plan for the next day, make them feel secure. For yourself, you have faith. For somebody else, you act as if there's no God. Don't worry about his faith. Worry about how he feels. Don't worry about his arrogance. Worry about how he feels. Chazal didn't tell us, say less to his face, lest you, heaven forbid, prompt arrogance in him. Chazal said, say less to his face, lest you become a false person, a flatterer, a faker. About him... Just make him feel good. Make sure you make him feel good. Make sure you make the other person feel good. Okay, there's one more note Mir Hashem will say for next time. But this is what I wanted to share with you today. Let's, uh, let's do our best that way. Okay. Have a good day. You're very welcome. Kol Tov. All the best.